with you. Good morning, church. Gosh, man, I love starting worship off like that, right? I love it. That was a good time. Thank you guys for just bringing us to the the presence of the Lord as we get to worship this morning. Uh, My name is Kendrick. I'm the lead pastor here at Calvary Church, so if you're here uh, and you don't know me, that's who I am, and I'm glad that you came to worship with us. If you do know me, good morning. Good morning. Hey, guess what we're doing today? I'm so excited. We are starting the book of John, right? For the last several months, I've been able to read through this book, and today I get to start walking through this book with my church family, and I'm pretty excited. Um, I started trying to determine the best way to introduce John to you, like going through all the background and going through all the historical context and everything that's going on. But here's the truth. The Gospel of John has one of the most epic openings of any literature ever written. Any book ever written, any play ever written, any movie that is out there, none of them compare with the opening of John, right? In the beginning, right, he stole that from somebody, but in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? We know that verse, There's that, that sticks in us, so that's what I decided to do. We're just going to start with the introduction of John. That's how we're going to open this up. We're going to be spending the next several months as we walk through this gospel. And as we go through it, we're going to sprinkle in some contextual stuff of what's going on, information that's relevant to the passage that we're talking about. We'll provide you uh, some understanding as we walk through this incredible gospel. But today, we're going to start with in the beginning. Uh, the, The only thing I really wanted to make sure that you were aware of before we get started is the purpose that John wrote this gospel. Now, a lot of times we have to guess or we have to go through some big study of what the purpose of that book is. With John, we don't have that problem because the author told us exactly why he wrote it. And if we go to the end, if you go towards the end, it's in verse or chapter 20, verse 31, John writes this, but these are written, he's talking about the gospel, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So as we go through this, keep that in your mind. This is extremely important as we go through the introduction of this part. Uh, John's introduction summarizes the rest of his book. So the first 18 verses that we're going to look at today actually summarize the rest of the gospel. One commentary writer, he said this, The context of John's prologue, that's the first 18 verses, is provided by the next 21 chapters. So we're going to spend several months looking at this. Um, This is my John study Bible. It's just John, but I noticed that the print is bigger than my Bible. So guess what I'm reading out of today? This will be easy. So the, the whole purpose of this book is that we may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that we may have life in his name. That is the whole point of the Gospel of John. So let's go ahead and get started on this journey. Go ahead and open your Bibles. Turn to John 1, verse 1. Right? Let's go to John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I think I have a different slide. Right? In the beginning was the Word, And the word was with God. And it's not working. Oh, they went to it? Right? And I am stumbling through this. Let me hear the next one. Let's try this again. 
right? In the beginning was the Word. Okay, I gotta be really honest, man. We rocked this intro right to the T. We practiced, we rehearsed, we rehearsed. We're not getting our slide. This, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I have screwed up this. We need to make this more intro, more epic. Yes! That is better. Right? That is how we do John 1. Right? Let's begin. Verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he from whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from this the Spirit descended from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself... I skipped two pages. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. From the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just, we just ask for your wisdom. We ask for your discernment. Lord, we just ask that our hearts would be open, that we would know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that we may believe in him and have life. And Lord, we just pray that as we look at this Gospel of John over the next several months, that you would be here, that you would be present that you would grab our hearts and turn us towards you and help us to walk in obedience as we believe in you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your son's precious name that we ask all of these things. Amen. Amen. Okay, so that intro didn't start off just the way that I wanted to. But we got it, right? We got it. And as we notice when we open up John, John does not start off with genealogies, right? He doesn't just go back to the cousin of Jesus and start with John the Baptist and maybe talk about his birth or his ministry. John does something totally different. He takes us back to the beginning, right? In the beginning was the word. And that word that is used there is this Greek word, logos, right? That is just important Greek word. It's the first Greek word that I learned as a pastor when I was looking into Greek, and so I thought for sure that that word's going to be used all throughout Scripture to talk about Jesus, because it's that important, right? Many of us, when we talk about it, we're like, oh, logos, like, that's the Greek word I know, that's a big deal. You want to know the truth? 
Five times. Five times is all that's used in Scripture to refer to Jesus. Three of them are in this verse. The fourth one is in verse 14, which we'll get to in just a minute. And then actually the last one is also by John, but it's in his revelation. He's referring to Jesus, and he said his name is the Word of God. But all five times are by John. But this has been an impactful word, right? Logos is something we hold deep. This opening verse has just been burned into our minds, and it's left this tremendous impact on our thoughts about Jesus and on our thoughts of theology. There are all sorts of speculation out there on why John chose to use the Greek word logos. Why did John introduce his gospel with these words logos? Why did, how did logos grab the attention of the people that were hearing it for the first time and still grab the attention of people that read it today? Could it have been that John was trying to stir the minds of the educated Greeks, the people that are walking in the areas, that maybe coming into the synagogues, maybe to hear something new, right? Was he addressing the Stoics who followed the teachings of, of, of Zeno? He's this fifth century philosopher, Greek philosopher. He defined logos. He's real big into logos. He said this, that logos is the active reason, right, pervading the universe and animating it. Stoics define logos as this artistic fire, this active principle. It creates and expands, pervading inner matter. This passive principle and defining existence as an evolving, dynamic process. Logos is the influential reason of creation, the past, the present, and future of the cosmos existing in potential at the beginning. Right? You've got to be a philosopher to even know what he's talking about. Right? It's just big idea. Or maybe John was speaking to the Jewish teachers who clearly when they heard the beginning, in the beginning was the word, were taken back to Genesis. We're taken back to creation that God spoke in the beginning. Right? This, this word that comes from God is the agent of all creation. Clearly John is bringing the Jews, the teachers, the scholars back to the God of creation. Or maybe he was engaging those smart people of the day, right? People that were listening to this philosopher named Philo. And he was actually this contemporary philosopher of Jesus' time. He walked in around with Jesus. And what he was known for was taking some, some Greek philosophy and mixing it with Jewish tradition. And he also spoke of this logos, logos term. And he said that logos was the second god. It's the aspect of the divine who operates in the world through which the world is created and sustained. Right? Or, or maybe John was just trying to get the attention of the everyday Roman citizen, right? who, who really had no idea what all the philosophers were talking about. Or maybe he was trying to get the attention of the, the peasant Jewish man who was just trying to make enough money to pay his taxes, Right, both the average everyday Roman citizen, both the Jewish man walking the, the streets, they had heard this term logos before. And they said, man, the, the elite in our society, they debate and they talk about logos. Maybe we should listen. Maybe we should just hear what this man has to say. But I think I know exactly what John was doing. Right? And, and I think he knows what he's doing for one reason. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So, right, when you're inspired by the Holy Spirit, you're right. right. Whatever you write down, you're good, and that helps. But by using logos, John was able to capture the attention of the intellectuals, 
right? The Greeks and the Gentile, the Gentile intellectuals. He's able to grab the religious leaders of the day. And then he's also able to perk the ears of the everyday person that was there. John was about to say, all of you, everybody, you need to hear this. This will change your life. And in this sentence, he captures the attention of all the people of his day. All those readers that heard this term for the very beginning. In the day was the word. In the beginning was the word. And he has been grabbing everybody's attention for the last 2,000 years. As we read John. And if you look, you'll see if somebody's coming new to the faith and they say, hey, what should I read? What do they get pointed to? John. Right? This has been something that has just captured the hearts of people for over 2,000 years. And as we said, this is the most epic beginning ever written. And when we talk about this Logos word, in just a few verses, Jesus brings everybody to the same page. Right? There's nothing worse with talking with somebody and using a term that they may or may not understand. And it's worse if you're using the term word and everybody in your audience, everybody you're talking to is thinking of something totally different. And as we were just reading, we see that people have different ideas of what the word means. This reminds me of a time that there was this old pastor and he gave an entire sermon illustration. Through this whole sermon, he referenced a flip-flop, a sandal, and he was this older man, and he was talking to a younger generation. He didn't use the term flip-flop. He used the term thong. And everybody in the congregation thought he was talking about underwear. And every time he talked about, hey, it didn't fit right, and it was uncomfortable, the congregation laughed. And you could just imagine a pastor, right? You're saying the illustration is giving people attention. You lean into it. Man, he went into it, and he kept being more animated and talking about it. About five minutes into his sermon, nobody knew a word he was talking about. Nobody knew what any of the passage was on. I will tell you, it was on Ephesians 5. It was actually a really good sermon if you can get past that. But he did a great job on it. Right? So to avoid any confusion, John defines the word logos. Right? In the first five verses as we look through that, John defines logos. He defines what we are talking about. He says logos is divine. Not only was he with God, he was God, right? There's both distinction and unity. The word does not make up the Trinitarian Godhead, but it's a part of it, right? But it is God, it is divine. We see that the word is eternal, right? He was in the beginning. We see that the word is creator. If you look at verse three, all things were made by him. Without him, nothing was made. We see that the word was the source of life, in him was life. This life is the light of all men. We see that John is connecting word to God, attributing divine characteristics to the word logos. It's not a huge leap in thought. As we looked at earlier, philosophers have been doing this for over 500 years. But in verses 4 and 5, we actually see a shift in terms. We see terms that we are much more familiar with when we read through the Gospel of John. We see terms like life and light. And from here on out, those are the terms that will saturate the Gospel. If you're not familiar with those terms, in six months you will be. 
except for verse 14, which we're going to get to in just a few minutes, John no longer uses the word logos connected to Jesus or connected to God. But he will mention light for the rest of this passage that we are dealing with. He talks about the light of word, the light of the word, this light that is the light of men. It shines on darkness and it gives life to men. And John right now is starting to stretch the minds of the listeners that he is speaking to, that he is writing to. Right? When he started off with God as Logos, so many people could say, okay, I can see that. I can see how we're connecting this divine thing to something about creation. I could see that. Sure, that makes sense. But now you're talking about God entering as light, that God is being involved somehow with his creation. This is getting a little bit personal, and this was a big step for people that see God as somebody up there and out of my way, and he's doing his own thing, and he doesn't care about me or his creation. So, uh, John, you're starting to step on some toes here. And John continues that not only does this light come into the world and it comes into our lives, but when it comes in, it has a purpose. We see that this light that comes in has a purpose to reveal darkness. Darkness does not overtake the light. The light shines and reveals darkness to the entire world. And as we read through the first few verses, we see how awesome this light is. And we would just expect, we would have this, this uh, yearning for light as we read about this and as he paints this, this is divine, this is awesome, this is the giver of life. And when we hear those words, our hearts should yearn and we should be chasing that light. We should run to that light. But as we read, the people rejected the light because it was going to reveal the darkness in their hearts. Let me put this in tangible terms for you, something that you can grab onto. Several years ago, I was part of a team that was asked to go to this small village in southern Sudan. Southern Sudan was becoming a nation for the first time, and they were trying to stand up things like police forces and security teams. And so my job was to go over there, and we took the police department in this little town, and we taught them how to do policing. We taught them some very high-level um, law enforcement code of ethics, things like don't come to work drunk, don't put your uniform on and set up a fake checkpoint to rob people. Um, that's not how this works. That's not how we police. But one of the other things that we had the opportunity to do was to shine light on something that was called Freedom Square. And Freedom Square was this place where North Sudan had come, and when they were fighting during the war, they brought all the leaders and said, hey, we want to help you rule. We're going to give you some things. We just need all the leaders to come so we can help you. And then when they all got there, they killed them all. And so there was a spot, and it was Freedom Square, and it became the, the center of this village. Now, in these villages, uh, there's, there's no light, there's no infrastructure, there's generators at some places, some um, uh, eateries or restaurants, if you will, they have a generator that works, but for the most part, there's, there's no lighting or infrastructure. And at night, Freedom Square became a horrible place prostitution, child sex trafficking, some of the worst things that you can imagine was known here at this square. And we said, we need to get lights there. We need to shine light. Physical lights I'm talking about. Physical lights. We're going to put them there. And the state, uh, official state leaders, the town leaders, everybody's on board with us. And so we're working through this and everybody's nodding their heads saying, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, let's do that. But for some reason, it never got done. We kept running into this bureaucratic red tape, and it was so frustrating because it seemed like an easy thing we would be able to do. And I remember once I was working with this police officer, and I 
just shared my frustration with him. And he looked at me and he said, of course they, they won't help you. They know that the light will expose them, so they're rejecting the light so that they can continue to hide in the dark. And I looked at him, and he said, those same people that are saying they're working for you, they're the ones participating. They're the ones leading. Those state leaders, those police officials are running all of that stuff you're trying to stop. They don't want light there. And it turns out he was right. The light that we would eventually get running in that city revealed the hearts of leaders in that village. Physically, right, the light shined in the area and their hearts were exposed. They knew that the light was coming and you would think that if they knew it was coming because we're pretty persistent when we're gonna stop that they would maybe change their act, maybe do something different. Nope, not at all. Their hearts were so hard that they just preferred to remain in the darkness of life and they rejected the life that comes with the light. They hated the light because it revealed their hearts. And in verse seven, we see that God the Father even sent someone to his people to bear witness about this light that was coming. Right, John the Baptist comes, people get ready. Right, here comes the light. People get ready. Jesus is coming and hearts will be revealed. And what happened to his, him and his message? It was rejected. It was thrown aside. And some reject light because they don't want to know the darkness of their own hearts. I had someone once tell me that they didn't want to know the reality of child sex trafficking because if they knew the reality, then they would feel guilty for not doing anything to stop it in the first place. Right? That somehow by not knowing, then we convince ourselves that that reality doesn't exist. So you reject reality to really preserve the darkness in your own hearts. Right? This is what we talk about when we're saying rejecting the light, when we're rejecting the truth. The light reveals the heart of man. It shows the darkness in the heart of those who reject the light and ultimately reject the light that leads to life. We've heard it called the light of life. This is the light that brings life to all of those who receive it. And as we continue and get into verses 9 and 10, we see that this light for those who receive it bring life. Right In that same village in South Sudan, we eventually got the lights up. We lit up Freedom Square, and while the darkness of hearts were, were physically exposed to many, that light gave life to that square. Right, The restaurants and the coffee places would stay open later. Right, With the added security and the more restaurants, people would come and gather and come to dine. One guy set up this large TV. It was the only TV for miles around, and any time there was a European League soccer game, I don't even know what the good teams are, but any time there was a good team, people from all of the other villages would come to this square to watch this game, and there was life there. It became a safe spot. Right? This once dead square was given light, and life came from it. And so we see that this word brings life. It brings light for those who receive it. And as we read in those verses, it says that others received him and they believed in his name and became children of God. And as we read through John for these next few months, we're going to see there's two responses. Right? There's two responses that are available to men that we can believe and follow the son or that we cannot believe and disobey the son. And in a few chapters, John unpacks this just a little bit more. He tells us in chapter three, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. 
However, in spite of this light which has been shining on the world since creation, there are still many who do not believe. There are still many that love living in the dark. They would rather be in the darkness than to believe. And the truth is, is that unfortunately believing is not natural for us. Church, I love you, but the truth is we're dumb. Right? There's a reason that God relates to us as sheep. There's a reason for that. That is God's way of saying, bless your heart. Right? You're a, a sheep. We think of some cute, cuddly thing, and Jesus is thinking, you're an idiot. But he says it in a nice, loving way as sheep. But we see in verses 12 and 13 that Jesus gives us hope, that John gives us hope as he reminds us of God's grace in our lives. Right? Church, here's the truth, is that our salvation is not found in some special prayer, in some made-up holy act. Right? Our salvation is simply by receiving his light. For it is his light that is our source of life. It is by believing in his name, Jesus Christ, that we have life. Right? We respond and we become children of God, not by our ethnicity, not by our parents, not by our, our works. But we become children of God by his initiative. We become children of God by his grace, as is seen throughout verses 12 and 13. Right? But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave Jesus acting, right? God acting, the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That is initiated and carried out by God. Right? The church, the, the light of the world reveals the hearts of man and gives life to those who receive the truth, to those who believe the light is life and the word, the light is with God. And John tells us the light is God. Then we see in verse 14, John does the unthinkable. Right? John is, he blows people's minds, right? So far he's taken these readers in this first century of God. He said, hey, God's logos. He's the word. He's this big thing out there, right? He's this big nebulous thought. A Greek philosopher of the sixth century, he taught that logos is a principle of order and knowledge. It was the supreme force of the universe, right? This logos holds always, but humans always prove unable to ever understand it or know it, right? So this philosopher is saying humans will never know this logos. It's too distant. It's too far from us. We'll never know it. But John says, well, right, this logos, this thing that we will never know, right, is a light that is permeating his creation. It's a light that's coming in to his creation, Right? It reveals the hearts of man and gives lights to those who know and believe in him. And as people are starting to look funny at one another, they're listening to this and they're like, I don't know, God might be getting a little bit personable. He might be getting too close to his creation. John's not done yet. Look at verse 14. He blows their minds. He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right, This God that there's no way to know put on flesh and walked with us. And we have seen his glory Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John looked them in the face and said, Hey guys, this word, this light, this God put on flesh and walked 
among us and we could see and know the truth and the grace that comes in him. This was a bridge that may have been too far for first century people to cross. Right? This went out of their thinking realm. But here's the truth. 2,000 years later, this is still something. It's called the incarnation. It's when God became man that still causes people trouble. It still causes people, uh, uh, stops them from believing that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the son of God. In this book that's written by J.R. Packard, I want to read something to you. He's one of these leading theologians of our day. And he writes this. He says, the really staggering Christian claim is that Jesus of Nazareth was God made man. That the second person of the Godhead became the second man. Determining human destiny, the second representative, head of the race, and that he took humanity without loss of deity so that Jesus of Nazareth was as truly and fully divine as he was human. And it goes on to say, J.R. Packer goes on to say, it is here in the thing that happened at the first Christmas. The profoundest and most unfathomable depths of the Christian revelation lie. The word was made flesh. God became man. The divine son became a Jew. The almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wiggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. And there was no illusion or deception in this. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the incarnation. Gosh, do you believe in the incarnation? Do you believe that God became man and dwelt among you? Right, it is through this incarnation, it is through God made flesh that we are able to see and know God. It is through Jesus that God was made known. It is through Jesus that we receive the grace upon grace that Moses, by the law, pointed us to. That is why Jesus could say, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Moses could not show us God. Moses could point us to God. Moses at his best could only speak of or speak for God. Right? Moses could only see the back of God for one moment because nobody can stand in the presence of God and live. No man but the word that became flesh. One man, Jesus Christ And it is through that one man, it is through Jesus Christ alone that God is made known to us. It is Jesus that in the beginning was with God. It is Jesus that in the beginning was with God and was God. It is Jesus alone that is the light that reveals hearts of men and gives life to those who receive him. These are not John's words. These are Jesus' teachings. If you remember that this letter was written 50 or 60 years after Jesus' death. Many of the people that are hearing this may have heard Jesus himself. Many of the people hearing this would be familiar with Jesus' teachings. And can you imagine their heart as John teaches them about life and light and points them to Jesus. And they remember Jesus' teachings. 
Right? It was Jesus that said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Right? It was Jesus that said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. It is Jesus Christ, the word made flesh that dwelt among them, that made God known to them and to us. And that is why John can conclude his introduction with this. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now Jesus is the only one that has seen God in his entirety. If we go through the Old Testament, there are revelations. There's these partial, partial revelations of God that he revealed to certain people. But it is only Jesus who knows God in his entirety. It is only Jesus who knows God perfectly. It is only Jesus who can make God known to us. For the rest of John's gospel, we're gonna sh- he's going to share with us the ways that Jesus was made, has made God known to the readers and to us. Right, for the purpose that Jesus made God known so that we would believe. But the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is how are we going to handle John's prologue? Right, we just looked at these few verses. Are we going to look at this prologue and simply see that this is like an introduction to the rest of the gospel? Or do we look at this introduction as an invitation to know God? This is John laying out. This is what I'm going to be talking about, but let's get to the important things first. This is God. You know God. Do you believe? Right? Belief is the key word that we're going to see throughout the gospel. I went through and counted them. I may be wrong. I think there was 115, 117 times that John uses that word in this 21 verses. It is your belief that is the core purpose for him writing the gospel. Right? He tells us that. He tells us the, the reason I wrote this is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so do we accept this invitation to know God this morning? Right? Do we believe that the word became flesh and dwelt among us? Do we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is the way and the truth and the life? Have you ever made a public profession of that faith? Have you acted on this belief? Have you told a friend? Have you told a family member that I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that I believe that Jesus is my Savior, that I believe that it is Jesus who gives me life? Have you made a public profession of that faith and been baptized? Right, if your heart is convinced of this truth and this is a new belief for you, this is something that you're like, hey, I'm, I'm just coming to the realization of this truth. And maybe you want to get baptized. I want to invite you to come see me after the service. I'd love to talk with you and to pray with you and, and to, to help you with this walk through what this faith, right, this new belief that you have, what it means and what it looks like to live out. But church, for the rest of you who do believe, Right, for some of you, who really, I get it, I believe, I believe, I believe. Right? You, you've received this word. Well, what have you done with this belief in the word? Right, what have you done with this faith? What have you done with this, this knowing that God has dwelt with you? You put on flesh. What have you done with that belief? Right, are you just holding on to that belief? Maybe you're hiding it. Right, do you bask in the light like in a tanning bed? You close the lid. 
Maybe you don't want anybody to see your light. It's all yours. Nobody else can see this. Nobody else can see your life. I'm just going to close this lid. Forget everybody else. Man, or do you shine to your community? Right? Does your community, the people you hang around with, your family, your friends, your work, your community, do they see that light in your life? Right? Are you like John, like John the Baptist, not John the author in verse 7, where you're bearing witness to this light so that others might believe? Right? That's why John did it. That's why the Father sent John, to bear witness to the light so that others might believe, not so you can get tan. Not so you can just be happy, say, I'm saved, go to hell with the rest of you. That's not why you're saved. Right? That's not showing that light that is in you. So how are you bearing witness? How are you sharing this light? How are you sharing your faith with your community? Right? Who have you shared with yesterday? Who have you shared with this last week? Who have you spoke words of life to in the last month? Well, you can't get those days back. But guess what? Tomorrow's coming. Right? Next week is coming. We're only on April 3rd. We've got a whole month in front of us. Who are you going to speak words of life to now? Who are you going to bear witness to? Show them the light so that they may believe. That's what you need to be thinking about. That's what you need to be thinking. Who, church, put it this way. Who do you love enough to, to share life with? Like if that is your faith and that is your belief and you know, you know that Jesus is the source of life. Who do you love enough to tell them about Jesus? That church is there before we can bear witness, before we can even experience the abundant life that Jesus has to offer us. We need to go back to the purpose of the gospel. We need to go back to why John wrote this. Before we can bear witness, before we can experience abundant life, right, we have to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And it is in believing that we will have life. Church, don't wait six months to believe, right? John starts this gospel off saying, God is made known to you. Do you believe and have life? Or do you reject and live in darkness? Those are your options. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. Right? We thank you for this scripture. We thank you for John. We thank you for as John starts us off, he wastes no time in telling us the two options that we have in life. To love you and accept you and receive the light that gives us life or to reject it and live in darkness. God, we are so thankful that that is made so clear to us, that there is no other options available to us. There is no waiting, there's no choice C, there is believe or not to believe, life or death. Those are our options, Lord, and we are so grateful that John does not waste time and he presents us with the truth of all eternity. Lord, we are so thankful for this word, and Lord, we would just pray as we walk through this book of John, that our hearts would become stirred, that our faith would become active, and that your glory would be made known. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in the precious name of Jesus, so that all may know that we ask these things. Amen.